0: Anyway, back to the podcast. The challenge with phones and screens in general is that it can rob you of the power of imagination. And Jesus, though, relied on us imagining things. He repeatedly said, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, it's like a pearl, it's like a seed, it's like a tree. It's like, it's like, and what he's saying is you need to imagine Now, if all you ever have in your life is a screen and you just see something, you're not imagining it. So that muscle literally never gets developed. It's quite scary. And actually, to be a Christ follower, as we cannot see him yet, requires you therefore have a very rich, biblically grounded imagination. It's like essential. So if you don't know how to imagine, it actually hugely stunts your ability to walk in faith. It's fascinating. So the enemy, you know, is real and he loves to use things that are a blessing like phones and screens. For the age in which we live, we have to very deliberately go, oh, I have to learn how to imagine this. So as we read this, I just want you to just to kind of lean into the practice of imagining. What would have it felt like? What would have it smelt like? What would have it sounded like? What are the little details that the Holy Spirit deliberately included in this? So that you would see something in your mind's eye that is um that is particular and relevant. And one of the, the power, one of the most amazing things about you know Bible meditation is that I know we all come here with X, Y, and Z on our mind, I get that, and I want solutions, please God. But as you do this in faith, as you actually start to lean into imagining, imagining this other world for a moment, you often find that there is connections here. But it requires this actual act of faith and imagination in leaning into the world that that is being portrayed before you. So who would like to read a few verses from verse 30 to 44? Any willing volunteers? Kelsey, thank you. I see that hand.
1: The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and set a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men.
0: Hmm. Great. All right. Just for two minutes, I'd like you to get into groups. So maybe you three if I can be so bold. You three and then maybe you four. Simple question, what caught your attention? What caught your attention as you as you heard that being read? And and why? Okay? So we're just gonna spend two or three minutes on that and then we'll come back together.
1: Yeah. He's not saying look at me, I'll take care of it. No. He doesn't say
0: that. Absolutely. He does very much correct their way of doing it, but <laughs> what about this group here? Anything come up that was that you want to mention? I had lots of discussion. Um
1: yeah, I really like actually what she's sharing about um, so, sometimes the way we approach Jesus, like the disciples just went to Jesus and say, Oh, okay, it's getting late, tend to wrap up, like do you probably and how sometimes we that, that was really bold right and how sometimes in our personal life we may approach Jesus that way too or like just saying okay this is my three month plan that I have I have three months to do these six months and you want just like Jesus to work around that on your own terms and your own thing so uh, that was really good mm. to reflect on how we should approach him differently yeah um,
0: absolutely yeah he's the king mm-hmm. he's the lord
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's great how about these guys we were
1: talking a lot about the build-up to the feeding how mm-hmm. the disciples have just come back from like going out jesus had just sent them out to go and preach and heal people they come back and they're tired and they're hungry so jesus says come with me we'll find somewhere quiet to get some rest but then they see the huge crowd coming and they get off the boat and now they're presented with that and it says jesus saw them and had compassion he
0: mm.
1: kind of lets go of his own physical needs and desires at that moment
0: to serve the people serve the crowd and then proceeds to feed them both in preaching to them and speaking to them and
1: physically with food so just like yeah that real it's easy to forget that jesus was human and had physical needs and the disciples as well mm-hmm. and how like
0: sacrificial they were yeah in doing this yeah absolutely that really i mean i think um for me it's probably i mean in a way it's the it's a it's really interesting like what is the main point of this parable or the story not parable what's the actual main point of it i think if i just read it to my kids for the first time what do you think this is telling us in a way the most obvious thing is this well they were already you know like i often say when i teach at the school i say Bible narrative, you know, a, Bible, a story in its core essence has to have two things, which is, a, which is a problem and a solution. Every story has some element of that, unless, unless it's a Greek tragedy and then there's no solution. It's just depressing, there's just a problem and it finishes. Um, but most kind of classic stories have that sort of that tension in them. And so if you were to look at this, you'd be like, well, oh, this is a story about Jesus is teaching Dilililah and people get really hungry and then there's the solution. And that's, that's true. But there is this multi-layered element to it. Um, one, of the qu- my, one of the questions I love to ask in this is, is, where are you in the story? Where do you see yourself in the story? Who are the main subjects? Who are the main characters in this story? It's not a true question. Disciples in the crowd, Disciples in the crowd. yeah. And who else? Jesus. Jesus and then there's one other who's not mentioned in this account but we know um, oh. the, boy. the little boy. The boy yeah who has the thing so there's like four I guess different groups so in that when you read this who do you naturally sort of how do you read this what lens do you read this through who do you identify with
1: depending on the day <laughs> <laughs> never with no, Jesus though. No. No. <laughs> Jesus never with Jesus
0: <laughs> okay so probably what more of like anyone else either the little child who has his bread and fish it goes
1: by seasons I would say uh-huh. I mean, in my life it's like that sometimes mm-hmm. uh, you're just saying hey God this is what I have yeah. do whatever you want with it yes Sometimes you're part of the crowd, it's like I'm in a season mm-hmm. that I just need to be fed, I, I need to receive, yeah. I'm hungry, yes. I can do you know, something right now, yeah. uh, all the times is, yeah, like the, we were saying, it's like, okay, God, now you have to do this thing, right. you know, like yeah. the disciples, you have to go and do
0: this thing. Yes. Because I guess in a way you almost do have three broad categories, don't you have God himself, Jesus. <laughs> And then you have the disciples and the, and the boy who, who do something. And then you have the third group, which is the crowd, that are kind of totally passive, really. They're literally just consumers. They're <laughs> like listening to teaching and then getting loads of food. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is interesting how I know at different times I find myself reading. If I'm honest, although I, I don't identify with Jesus in a kind of... Uh, I don't think I am Jesus. I can read this and think I need to solve everything. You know, I think I can often read stuff and forget kind of like that flow I, that I think you see there. Like, what, it's, a, it's kind of, he's not saying, although he had compassion on the crowds, he loved the crowds. They didn't do anything. We don't know their names. They don't ever kind of rise up and help. It, you know, in my head, I get the image of them. Like, if you look at earlier in the passages, it says about Jesus healing people left, right and centre. And then it says, but no one was coming to faith. Jesus was pouring his life out and it wasn't, he was just extravagantly kind and it wasn't leading to a big thing. It was like, you know, like the woman who pours out the, 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 the perfume and it's like extravagant. It's not efficient. So you've got all these like, you know, 5,000 men. They probably think thousands of women and kids, like maybe 12,000 people. And I think that image of them just kind of gluttonously, in a way, just consuming and like, oh, you know, burping. They've got too much food. And then the disciples who are thinking, uh, you know, we've got to follow, we're following this Jesus. And uh, we're kind of scurrying around, picking up all these leftovers uh, around these ungrateful people, probably who are just kind of like, oh, cool. Jesus is teaching and he's providing loads of food. There's no biblical evidence that then thousands of people came to Christ or their hearts were changed. They just got stuff. But for the disciples following Jesus, you know, it is this different deal. There's this, there's this tension. So I'm just going to walk through the passage and just make a few comments. But a lot of them you kind of said already. But as we say, it begins with this. The story begins with this really important context, which is they're exhausted. They're really tired. Um, if you look earlier on, Jesus has sent them out in a place of vulnerability. Take nothing, take nothing, take nothing. And they've done that and they've taken nothing with them, but they've done stuff. And so, you know, they come back, they gather around Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and done and taught. So you can imagine these kind of like really excited disciples. Hey, Jesus, you'd be proud of us. This is what's happened. You know, bloodshot eyes. They've been working 70 hours weeks. They're they're fulfilling their calling, doing their new job, absolutely exhausted. but, But they've given themselves to it for Jesus. You know, they're doing their absolute best. And I love it, it says, and he it, and it says, come away with me by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. I know this is obvious, but man, living in San Francisco, you need to hear this like a mantra. It is a crucial, vital thing that we know that we are called to rest. One of the great marks of Israel when they were taken out of slavery, one of the first things God said was about Sabbath. And one commentator says they were known as the stopping people. In the whole world, this crazy one nation that every seven days they just stopped. That was no one did that, and they used to be the slaves. So it was like drilled into them for four hundred years. Chink, chink, work, work, and then the first marker. Oh, you're the stopping people. I love that, and and in faith it's almost harder to do anything than to stop. I was talking to a member of Sanctuary just yesterday and we were, we were talking about that. Do you find it hard to like stop? And she's like, oh my gosh, so hard to stop. My brain is always planning. So I love this, this thing, come away and rest for a while um, because they haven't, even, they haven't even been eating. That must be really busy. It would take a lot for me to forget to eat, but they're so busy that they haven't even been eating. And they head off, verse thirty-two, to a remote place. And as has been said, they're sort of they must have been so pleased that Jesus said this. Like, well done, let's go and have a spa. You know, let's go away, go to for a retreat. And as they're going, many saw them leaving, verse 33, and recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns. Notice those words, they literally are running from everywhere around, and then they get to the place ahead of them. So even before these guys have a chance to rest, there is this like deeply disappointing scenario. You know, you're absolutely peopled out. You do not want to see another person and you have this wonderful vacation in Hawaii planned. And suddenly at the last minute, this thing happens and you feel, I mean, if you've like, if you're a parent here, you know, you work, work, work all day and, you know, you're pouring to your kids and know that slim slither of time you have at the end of the day when it's just you. If one of your child, for some reason, violates that time and comes in, there is a potential rage you can feel (laughs) that is greater I'm disproportionate, <laughs> yes, <laughs> because you're you're like letting yourself unwind. what? Maybe it's just me and Josie and none of you. Oh, no. like, Tom, no, I understand. all. pray for you later. No, because really, it's your guard, down. You know, and you're, you're you're like oh, okay Thank God, I really need this, biblical, and I need it. But suddenly, there's this kind of awful moment. It's like a, it's like a, it's almost like a tragedy. It's like a, it's like a nightmare. Thousands of people. I mean, think five. Thousand met, 12,000 people. I mean, we just get used to these numbers. I was in Washington Square watching uh, a film, The Princess Diaries, and they, the sundown cinema that they do every year, and they expected about 1,500 people. 5,000 turn up. This is in the summer. 5,000 people is a lot, of, a lot of people. It was unbelievable. And actually, there's, you know, if there's like 10, 12, just imagine this feeling of like almost invasion. I wonder if in your life at the moment there's any things that that are kind of making you feel like no matter how hard I try and damn this, I just feel like these things are kind of pushing in and pushing in. So that's the situation that's going on. Jesus, though, being Jesus, he doesn't get angry. He has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he begins to teach them. I love that. He... His, his shepherding of them starts with teaching. Like he starts to speak to them truth. truth. He, he starts to, to guide them. And um, when it grows late, his disciples approach him and said, okay, kind of enough is enough. We've gone with you this far, Jesus. You know, we didn't really want this to happen, but you were all kind and loving, great. Can we now at last please get rid of these people? Um, and it's interesting he says you know verse 36 can you send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat so obviously there is a solution you know they're obviously saying yes we're kind of in the middle of nowhere but there are these surrounding villages there's a human solution to this okay i don't know if you've ever noticed that in this story it's not like there was no other option and they literally had to do it this is it sounds like what they're saying is very reasonable there's a reasonable way that all this need can be met in another way um and yeah and as 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 tan was saying verse 37 these really interesting words i think these words how when you read these words what is the emotion that you feel when you if you're feeling like a disciple and then you hear Jesus in your mind's eye say, you give them something to eat. Tell me, what does that phrase feel like to you? Annoyed. annoyed. Yeah. Anything else?
1: You know, impossible. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Absolutely. There's few things in this life that are more like inst- that instantly, actually frustration, frustrating, cause- causing. That when you feel like you're being called to do something and you just can't do it like do you know that like that panicky it's not just like oh sorry just chill out there's like a kind of instantaneous like, it's like a panic anger a panga yeah. you know that you just feel like no 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 you don't understand this is like I can't, I can't do that yeah. and I bet I wonder if they even felt a bit guilty so it wasn't just this is you know but this is probably maybe something I, I know I should want to do but I, I don't want to do it. I don't need I can't do it and I don't actually necessarily even have the heart to do it. Um and then they said to him should we go and buy so again as we've seen here they 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 say should we go and buy 200 denarii's worth of bread and give them him to eat. So they try and solve it in this very human way which again is so natural. Um thinking, well, if I've got to do this, there's got to be a way that this is just like a, a human way of doing it. And then he says this strange phrase, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. So they don't have anywhere near enough, even for them. That's a tiny amount of food, really. I mean, the loaves weren't like huge, you know, I think a loaf in those days was was almost like a big bun. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't some massive thing. And two fish. But I love what he says here. He says he so he then instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the on the green grass. So, what Old Testament passage so far? Food, desert. What's this? What's this sort of similar to? Very famous passage in the Old Testament, or or bit of their of Israel's story. Yeah. Yeah. It's deliberately like echoing this great story from the past when God took them into the wilderness and they were really hungry and dependent on him. And it's almost it's almost acting it out again. But look at how he does this. He he says he sits them down in groups to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And one commentator says, Isn't it strange how suddenly there's this green grass? This is like a desert place. You know, if you've ever been to the Middle East, it's extremely hot. It's like Visalia. You know, it's 110 degrees, if not more. They'd gone to a remote place, and suddenly there's this beautiful mention of him of him getting... He's giving them a, a place, isn't he? first thing he's doing, he's giving them a place to be together. And he's just saying, like, you, you need a shepherd who's going to provide a green space and a place is there a psalm that comes to mind when you when you picture that a shepherd and a green pasture what what psalm springs to mind is it that's 18 that's exactly right psalm. it's 23 yeah, the extra yeah, something. but you'll bang on with the That's yeah exactly. So there's there's this beautiful like little details which we miss. It's like oh my gosh, he is he is he is putting some pressure on the disciples, and as as has been known, they only can bring what they have got, and that's one of the most amazing bits of this whole thing, is they are involved, they are involved. You know sometimes as Christians we can be just like we can over apply grace, and be like well it's just God. God's gonna do it, right? I know I can do that. If I particularly if I feel overwhelmed, I'm just go you know, I go into like a hyper grace mode, <laughs> hide behind grace. Like, oh, it's all just the Lord You know, well, glory to the Lord, I won't do anything. And that's actually technically called hyper Calvinism. It's a very well long established <laughs> heresy, actually. It's not true. It is not biblical. It is not biblical to think that you can completely sit back. We we confuse um, effort and earning a lot of the time. Dallas Willard famously said, beautiful Californian Christian philosopher and teacher, he said, we, we, we confuse effort and earning. The Christian life requires effort. But it's not about earning. You're not earning it. They're, they are not earning anything with Jesus, are they? Like asking about bread and stuff. But it requires a bit of effort. So that's, that's actually helpful. Because I think, as has been so. I think Channel was saying, there's this earthy feel to this. It's a very earthy story. It isn't just some kind of elevated out of normality. There's this sort of, you know, real sort of visceral feel to this story that, that's actually important to, to hold on to. But this is the picture. He is a shepherd. Even in the desert times, even when there's a sense of lack, he is providing for them. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And then here we go. You you may have noticed in verse 41 um, It says these, these, can anyone spot the five sort of actions that happen in this one verse? And a lot has been written about these five because they're very beautiful. They're very instructive to the whole of the Christian life. What happens next? Verse 41. He gave things. No, the first one. Took. 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 Jesus took something. Okay. He took... In my translation says he took the five loaves. Okay. Let's go. Who can see the next one? What's the next thing that Jesus does? Takes the two loaves and the five fish. Okay. Sorry. You know what I mean. The two fish. He, like the fish. he looked. That's right. So he took and then he looked. What's the third thing that he then does? Blessed. He blessed. In some translations he gave thanks. In the NIV it says that. I got confused this morning, I was like, why does it not say blessed in the NIV? I texted some friends of mine who were, who were very clever, and they said, oh, don't worry. In this, in this moment, the Greek for blessed and thank, give thanks are interchangeable. Whew. the NIV got it wrong. Yes, he, 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 he took, and then he looked, and then he blessed. What's the next one? He broke. He broke the bread, and then what's the fifth one? Gave. I love that. Would <laughs> someone mind just shutting the window? Sorry, Sebastian. <laughs> 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 no, sounds great fun. Um, Lydia, would you mind just shutting the other one? Sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> beans is also a little bit fragile. i <laughs> <laughs> It's very easy easy to. Have. So we see these lovely, these beautiful four pictures. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever meditated on those. See, what? Jesus, thanks, Lily. You're getting beans. He's just in here, roving like a crazy wolf. Um, Jesus took, and then he looked, and then he blesses, he breaks, and then he gives. And um, it's powerful. Henry Nowen's written a whole book on just those five... I think he actually makes it into four. I think he must have missed one. But uh, this beautiful writer, and he has written this amazing book on saying, if you meditate on those four elements, they're actually... Far more than meets the eye. If you think about what, what other famous story or incident happens which feels very very like this a bit later on in the life of Jesus. Yeah, the Last Supper. Where, where Jesus is doing it again with bread. He took the bread. He looked, his, he looked up. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And then he shared the bread. And of course, the real profound thing here is it was an enactment of what was going to happen to him he was talking about physical bread but he was helping them to understand the christian god and this is the heart of this whole thing in some ways i think this is the most powerful image this this is who we we come to a god who you know who who walks through all those elements think about the first one he takes the bread You know, Jesus uh, speaks about almost... and, and And the amazing thing is, you can also see yourself in the bread. Jesus is the bread, but in a way, we are now the bread, right? You think about this. Like, the Father led Jesus to this earth. You know, Jesus took the bread. There was a... This first thing sort of speaks about the Christian life, the leadership of God over your life. You have been taken from one domain of this of this world and into another he took you he's grabbed you you know my dear friend who I've mentioned recently who's become a Christ follower you know there's no he has been grabbed by it now it may not have felt like that you may have thought you were choosing God but the Bible repeatedly says that you've been taken there's this beautiful like you are not in control of your life thing you are led by someone and I, I know that there's part of all of us that wants to feel utterly autonomous and independent but but there's this beautiful, beautiful picture, of of just as the bread was taken, um, and just as Jesus was ultimately taken and led by the Father. So too we are those, who are those who need to kind of daily, almost. And in a moment, we're going to break bread, and drink some juice, to be reminded. Do you feel like someone who has been taken? Is that how you feel? Are you someone who? You feel that sense of almost I'm you know, I'm no longer my own possession. You are not your own, but you were bought at a price. There's this beautiful sense of God's ownership over you that is very anti the age in which we live. We do not like that. I don't like the idea of in some ways. That makes me feel like, you know, I don't know, out of control, right? But there's this amazing, profound sense of yeah, yeah, in a way just as Jesus was led by the Father, so, so we have been taken and were led. I love this idea though, but then he looked up to heaven. So there's this beautiful, why, why do you think he looked up to heaven? Any ideas? Why, why is that bit there and why did you, Jesus do it? I don't have some very clever answer by the way, don't be fear. Your instinctive thought It's probably the same as mine
1: or to communicate to the yeah. car who was going to do the thing? Yeah,
0: I think that's probably part of it, definitely. And maybe it's just helping him to stay focused on the father, and kind of like, like physically helping him as a man to actually listen to what the father's saying rather than just doing his own, his own will, you know? Um, but it, to me, you know, looking looking and feeling seen and feeling known and feeling individual in particular is a huge part of the gospel it's Mm -hmm. not just that we're taken it's like jesus looks to heaven you know the father looks on his son when he's baptized is my son who i'm so thrilled there's this beautiful element to the christian faith of knowing that you're seen i don't know how when you grew up as a child whether you felt seen you may not have felt seen honestly you may have thought I think I did but as a little child you you may not have actually felt that scene you may have felt slightly in the way (laughs) or you may have just felt you know uh, an inconvenience but this beautiful idea here of like Jesus is saying uh, no he's almost hinting just as I know I can look into heaven know my father heaven is now a place your name is known and you are known and there's this extraordinary kind of hinting I think um, just as he looked to the Father, that we can expect to be seen and known. And then there's his third element of being blessed, to be a blessed one. It says in Ephesians, it says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And just as he, as the Father blesses his son and Jesus blesses the bread, is that we are also those now who are blessed and can expect to be to be to be blessed more and more. Who who can define what, in your mind, to be blessed actually means? What do you think it means to be blessed? Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? When you think about being blessed, what's the opposite of being blessed? Cursed. Cursed, yeah. So you, you, you see that repeatedly. It talks about Jesus being cursed on the cross in Galatians so that we could be blessed. So he experienced something so that we could receive something in exchange. Any other thoughts about what it means to be blessed?
1: In the favor, re- receiving the favor of God.
0: Right. Yeah, something we don't deserve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. China? I'm just gonna say it lacks specificity, but I would say like the mark of like receiving the mark of grace. Okay. Mm. Um. So, maybe Mm-hmm. They, like, know it or not. Right,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the the crowds so blessed, aren't they? Mm-hmm. they just literally. I mean, we don't have to overthink this. I think the word is a very broad word. It's a powerful word. It's a real word. but It's not a hyper technical word. It is actually deliberately broad, and I think you're right. There is this sort of fountain of blessing that all of us experience a lot of the time that we don't even realise. But he does do something, and he blesses them. And um, it's interesting, actually, even at this Father's Day retreat, one of the things that the guys coming, Steve and Larry, really want to do is bless you, to anoint you with oil, and to bless you. And I think having, like even as you were saying, Tana about being Christ to each other, yes, this is the Father, but the body of Christ blessing one another. Building each other up in the most holy faith—it's an f- actual thing you can do. One of the most—I remember years ago, um, I was at this. I was about twenty-two and I was doing this gap year thing, and there was this like few days of tr- of training, and all these kind of you know people were coming in to do this training, and there was one night of prophecy, and um, this amazing guy called Dave Dave Devonish, who's got this incredible voice, um, and he used to be a merchant banker, and then he became. Okay, Church Blount, okay. Anyway, he was praying for everyone and he was just prophesying person after person. It was amazing. It was just like, he was so fatherly and so accurate. These long kind of like words. And then he came to me and he just looked at me and I vividly remember it. And all he said was, bring her a blessing. And then he moved on. And I was like, what? Like, that's it? Like, bring her a blessing? And at first I was a little bit gutted because everyone had these long things and it's then beautiful. do you know what though like, like,
1: cursed <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. The, like, well you're just gonna bring blessing. <laughs> yeah
0: it was funny though the more I've thought about it the more it's 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 been such a huge word over my life mm. and actually the idea that I, I think it's true and obviously it is true for all of us but I also feel like I feel the smile of the father that you know particularly when I'm in a slightly more healthy place you know spiritually and emotionally particularly um, I can be a blessing to people. So, he, so there's this blessing element. And there's this sense in which, even today, as we break bread, in just a moment, we are conduits we're channels of God's fresh blessing. Of course, ultimately, we are, we are blessed already. But there is a blessing uh, that you need to receive in your life. And you often don't even necessarily realise it. You can just get to the point where you're just on autopilot. Is there anything, let me ask you this question, is there an area of your life in particular where you think, I just really would love the blessing of God in this particular area of my life, you know? That's a scary question to ask, isn't it? Because it makes us hope again and and be vulnerable. But I just love this invitation. This is the Jesus, this is the Jesus who is here today. He's the same Jesus. He didn't just get it done, he took the bread, He looked to his father and he blessed it. And then he broke it. And I guess when we look at the breaking, again, and we look at Jesus' body broken for us. And we think about our lives, you know, I love the order of this. He doesn't doesn't break it and then bless it. He doesn't like reward you for suffering. He blesses you because he loves you. But there is a call to increasing brokenness. There is a call to that. And that's so actually good news because in your life, I promise you, you'll, you'll be here and you'll be thinking, I love Jesus, you know, I love this, but there's also these things in my life that are really hard. Tom doesn't know about this. He doesn't know about these things. How weak I feel, how fragile I feel. And actually, the message of the gospel is good news because it gives you a vision for brokenness. It doesn't try and say, no, no, it's all about escaping that and having the super-duper life with for, it's free from it in some kind of... Unreal. No, no, no in the nitty gritty earthy broken reality of this of this world there is a redemptive view of suffering that jesus gives us that's incredibly profound so I, let me ask this this other question are there areas of brokenness in your life today that you think man yeah i haven't i haven't quite even recognized that until you said it but there's this area in my life that that is quite painful actually um and maybe it's a kind of good pain maybe there's something in it Um, I definitely feel like that. I feel like God has been both kind of breaking me and kind of crushing me and showing me that I can't control almost anything. (laughs) And that's really hard when you start to really lean into that. You feel I can't, you know, it's a breaking that happens of, of that part of me that wants to. But in that place, and I almost feel like God's been saying, sit down, sit down. Don't get up, sit down. Like learn to sit in that place. Where you're not able to get up and hustle, sit and that. But at the same time, as I do that, there's the blessing. There's the blessings of provision in different ways and in different in different circumstances. Are you fighting the brokenness? Are you still? Is there still enough like life in you in a bad way <laughs> that you're kind of like kicking against the goads? Like uh, you know, Jesus said to Paul, "Why are you kicking against the goads? Let me break you." There's a good breaking that God wants to do. And uh, one great uh, vicar, uh, uh, church leader from England, he said, the quicker you learn to partner with God's holy breakings, the better. When he's trying to break an area lovingly in you and to just surrender, to learning to give up, which I know sounds strange, but giving up that attempt to control is really crucial and then there's the giving and I love that fun then there's the giving there's the sense in which isn't it true that when you are, when those processes are being operating to some degree not only are you actually more compassionate yourself you become more compassionate yeah if you haven't allowed that brokenness like I mean let me just be mean to you George you know for a moment just like you've had to endure sudden ill health right you're a young man 40 uh prime of life and suddenly this autoimmune things come out of nowhere and that's a breaking right you've had to just suddenly not be able to do work in in the same way even walking and doing the normal things have not been something you can do in the same way that's dramatic and shocking and real but i wonder if also there is through this there's an even greater i mean you're a compassionate guy anyway but when you suffer it's possible for God to just continue to give you even a greater compassion for others, isn't it? That is really possible, that you can become... like Jesus is compassionate in the beginning of the story, and the disciples don't seem to be. How do we get compassionate? Unfortunately, what we want normally comes through that process involving the breaking. It comes with the price tag of, you know, when I've suffered from anxiety real crippling horrendous anxiety has been awful i am so much more compassionate now if someone suffers from that like i really care like i will weep with you because that is horrible Mm. and it it leads people to do really sad things Jyoti suffered repeatedly from real depression like awful dark depression and i have seen how her softening to others um and we, we would judge people normally. We would judge the heck out of people. We're like that. You know, we've just got smug hearts. And we go, oh, they're just obviously just a weak, Or well, they've made bad choices. And that's so, so wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, so this final thing of giving, like he then gives it out. I love that. It, we can only give when we've allowed God to do those things. When we've been taken afresh by him. We felt something of the, 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 the you know, the, the view of heaven upon us. We know we're seen and we're safe. And we're anointed, we're blessed. But then there is a breaking. But man, then there's a giving. And there's a giving. And I think, I think that's where when you go back to your workplaces tomorrow, when you go back to where you live, and there's all the people around you who are suffering and finding life difficult and they're all pretending it's fine, but actually it's really hard. One of the key things we want to bless you today, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit, we want to bless you and, and almost partner with, oh, this is the process of God. This is what he's built, he'll be doing in you. So as, as his people, we can have a roadmap and go, oh, yeah, you're here. And, and how can we pray with you and be with you and bless you and see that you are sent not just to survive your week, but as you're sent, each of you into these amazing God-ordained vocations, callings, I mean, I wish we had time to share each of what the different... I, look around, I know all of you, and I know, you know what you're doing, and I think, wow, the adventures that God has for you. And actually, the, 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 the way that he wants to send you and to empower you to be a compassionate, kind, miracle-expecting God. He's not just compassionate. Jesus was also expecting power. And that combination of soft heart, but a big faith—that's that's an amazing cocktail in our hearts. So um, it was quite a short.